0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups so I'd like to welcome first on, on this segment, uh, Reijing Zhang, who is the co-founder and CEO of VZ Technologies. Reijing, thanks so much for coming in.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So give us the elevator pitch for Avizi.
1: Sure. AVZ is a medical devices company that's working on a product called Visiplate. Visiplate is a nanoscale aqueous implant uh, for the drainage of intraocular fluid in glaucoma patients. Now, glaucoma is the second leading cause of blindness in the world and it currently has no cure.
0: All right. So, I think we need we need just a little bit on the science. So, let's tell me what glaucoma is. I know I go in for that test every year or, or every <laughs> few years. What what is glaucoma?
1: So, the test you go in for is a intraocular pressure test, mm-hmm. right? In healthy eyes, we have a system of fluid creation and drainage that nourishes our eye tissue. Mm -hmm. But in patients with glaucoma, the drainage system for that fluid is broken. And what Visiplate does is create a drainage pathway to reduce that fluid pressure that builds up over time in glaucoma patients. By draining the fluid and allowing it to be absorbed into other parts of the eye, we can effectively control that path towards blindness and oh. hopefully stop it.
0: Okay. So if, if I just think about it in really simple terms, if the drain is plugged, then pressure builds up mm-hmm. and the idea is that what happens and there's also a failure to to provide that that necessary flow of fluid in the eye.
1: Right. So when that pressure builds up, it puts a lot of pressure on the optic nerve mm-hmm. and that's what causes irreversible damage. Ah, uh, I see.
0: Okay. So, so basically, wh- when this is diagnosed, there's still an opportunity to intervene. Is that the point? Uh yes. Okay. So you'd go in, you'd have this test, and there'd be some detection that, hey, your eye isn't responding, isn't draining the way it should be, you may have glaucoma. What 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 happens? What is the current status quo for how you treat it?
1: So currently once you are diagnosed with glaucoma, Mm -hmm. um you you get put on this treatment algorithm that starts with medications, typically eye drops and pills. Mm -hmm. However, the failure rate for that is about 60% within six months because patients fail to continue using those eye drops. Mm -hmm. They're difficult to use, Um, it's difficult to remember to use them. Mm -hmm. So then patients who progress in their blindness need to get perhaps a laser surgery. And laser surgeries ultimately fail at a rate of around 47% Mm -hmm. uh, within five years. Um, Basically, in laser surgery, a little piece of tissue in your eye is excised so that the fluid has somewhere to drain to, however, that tissue ultimately grows back. Following laser surgery, you might get a manual surgery. Mm -hmm. It's what we call a trabeculectomy. Mm. Uh, This is when a surgeon will take you into the operating room and perform a procedure on you, a manual procedure, again, to excise some tissue. However, that also fails at a rate of around 50% within five years. So that brings us to a category of devices where patients can elect to get an implant in their eye to help with drainage. Now, within this drainage category, um, there are two types of implants. One that is called minimally invasive glaucoma surgery, basically very small, tiny tubes about the length and width of an eyelash Mm -hmm. meant to help with drainage. However, those those are an intermediate intervention before the last line of defense, and that's what we're trying to disrupt. The last line of defense are these very thick and large implants around the size of, say, a nickel or a quarter Whoa. that get put in the back of your eye, and they're meant to stay there forever. However, they ultimately fail at a rate of around 30%. Within five years, they stop working, and patients end up maybe with two or three in one eye.
0: Yeah wow and so those devices if i am envisioning what they might look like they are they're sort of a grate of some kind that allows fluid to drain out the back of the eye is that is that what they, the existing devices are? The
1: existing loss line of defense devices are a <coughs> large plate that mm-hmm. fits either in between or under your eye muscles with a drainage tube that connects to the anterior chamber of your eye. The inside. I of your see. Eye.
0: So the plate is actually outside the eye and it's got a pipe on the surface of the eye. On yeah. the surface, eyes. So basically, got a got a piece of plumbing then connected sure. inside the eye. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So what what's Visiplate? So
1: Visiplate takes that same model, but bridges the gap between the minimally invasive surgeries mm-hmm. and these large plates. Mm-hmm. So we also seek to be less invasive, mm-hmm. but we're we're continuing this um, usage of a plate, a drainage plate. Mm-hmm. What we find is that having this uh, drainage plate within the eye is able to allow for uh, tissue spacing to occur, mm-hmm. so that once you do have successful fluid drainage, the tissues don't grow back together. There's no scarring, and you're able to have this like greater drainage system that's Mm -hmm. keeping your eye healthy, Mm -hmm. right, and keeping you from going blind. The thing about visiplate is that we're 10,000 times thinner than existing uh, last line of defense drainage implants.
0: And so how thick is it?
1: So you can think about it as 1,000 times thinner than a contact lens.
0: 1,000 times thinner than a contact lens. Or the thickness of a soap bubble. Okay. Oh, wow. So it's just a few microns. Thick. It's
1: yeah. 100 nanometers thick.
0: 100, so that's .1 microns. Wow, that's really small. That's really thin. Yes. And and what's the length scale? How, how big are they in, in length?
1: So around, I could give you around surface area, around 32 millimeters squared.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so there are a few millimeters on a side, maybe mm-hmm. a quarter of an inch, something like that. A little less than an eighth or, or a quarter of an inch mm-hmm. in dimension. Okay, so it's a really tiny little flake, basically. Um, is, is the way to think about it. this tiny, tiny flake. How on earth could you place something that thin, a soap bubble, effectively? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how is it placed in the eye? So
1: we are working on a insertion device mm. to help surgeons place that into the eye in the right yeah. location. We aim to be implanted using a using the trabeculectomy that I spoke yeah. about earlier. This uh, procedure that all glaucoma surgeons are trained in. Um, it's relatively quick. It's in the front of the eye. So we're using we're aiming to use this. Common procedure, but pair it with an insertion device to make sure that our implant uh, goes where it's supposed to go and helps the patient preserve their yeah. vision. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so uh, Ray Jing, it's sort of obvious to me—you must be an orthopedic surgeon, right? Ortho, ophthalmologist, yeah, an eye surgeon. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, absolutely uh, not. I am an undergraduate senior at Wharton.
0: Yeah, uh, that was that was the punchline. So, <laughs> uh, so, so, where did this idea come from?
1: This idea stems from all the way back when me and my co-founders were juniors um, at Wharton and we competed which was last year last yeah. year okay. yep yeah. We, yeah. Com- we competed in the uh, Y-Prize mm-hmm. competition.
0: Tell us a little bit about the Y-Prize. Yeah.
1: Sure. The Y-Prize is an interdisciplinary competition hosted between the Mac Institute for Innovation and the Engineering School. And it basically challenges people from all across the university to come up with a commercialization idea for some piece of technology that's been developed mm-hmm. but hasn't been commercialized. Mm-hmm. And in our year, that piece of technology happened to be this Illumina nanoplate.
0: Uh, but was was there was the, was the application envisioned? Not at all, no. Okay. So what so so an alumina nanoplate, uh, why on earth was it developed in the first place and and describe if we were if we were the size of a few molecules and could get down inside it, what would it look like? What would the nanoplate look like? Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so I believe it was first developed um with the purposes of optimizing energy transfer or heat transfer. It was developed in the lab of Professor Igor Bargatin. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a professor of material science here at the university, mm-hmm. and so if, if and alumina, we were able, by the
0: way, alumina is a ceramic, right? Ah, it's yes. alumina, aluminum mm-hmm. oxide. So yes. it's a ceramic, and at that scale, it's probably still flexible, and and uh, at that thickness, it's probably still flexible. So think of it as a, it's a, mat- it's a very strong material, right? Uh, yes, it's relatively yeah, strong for that yeah, scale. For mm-hmm. that scale, and but. Um, so, but the innovation was the ability to make uh, that a device at that scale, that thickness that has some structure to it, is that right, or has some geometric characteristics to it?
1: So Professor Bargeton's innovation yeah. was to be able to create a plate or a film at that scale that was freestanding. yeah, so a lot of similar films you can think of, say saran wrap, they crumple yeah. up. They aren't able to stay flat on their mm-hmm. own at all. Mm-hmm. And so that was Professor Bargeton's innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, So we took his technology and we thought to ourselves, well, we are interested in healthcare. We want to apply it in a device for the body. And using a very research-focused view, we thought to ourselves, what are the smallest implants in the body? Mm -hmm. And what can we do with this technology? What can we improve? Well, those turned out to be in the eye and in the Mm ear. And for us three personally, we cared a lot more about vision. It's Mm -hmm. such an integral part Mm -hmm. of quality of life, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So um, we reached out to ophthalmologists here at the university. Um, we started thinking about glaucoma specifically because it's the second leading cause of blindness. The mm-hmm. first leading cause is cataracts, but mm-hmm. there are, are plenty of really great solutions for cataracts yeah. out there already. But the the thing is in glaucoma, the solutions are um, not effective. And there's a lot of potential for those solutions to be improved. And that's that's why we chose to go with this application.
0: Yeah. And, and then... But it's just, I'm just having a hard time envisioning, so your two undergraduates, three, uh, three undergraduates mm-hmm. going, poking around the medical school, saying, hey, we got this little thing, what could we do with it, is that, or did you have a pretty good hypothesis about glaucoma before you went
1: and Yeah, we to, had that hypothesis about yeah. glaucoma, so we specifically reached out to glaucoma experts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, One of my co-founders is a pre-med track, uh, material science engineer, yeah. so, we're very interdisciplinary. He yeah. brought the engineering aspect. Yeah.
0: Tell me about that first meeting. Like what What did the, did you talk to a surgeon or to an, an ophthalmologist, uh, yeah?
1: Our first meeting was with Dr. Richard Stone. Um, mm-hmm. He's absolutely fantastic. He's a professor now, but he has a lot of clinical experience mm-hmm. in treating glaucoma patients. Um, it was a little bit funny, actually. We walked in, we had set up the meeting over email, and we sat down, and he's like, oh, so what do you study? And I was like, oh, I study business. I study finance and management. And he was like, oh, you're one of those business people. And, and, and he and, kind of crosses arms. His arm, cross yeah, our, 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 our. <laughs> crosses yeah. arms. But then I said, oh, well, Brandon here is actually pre-med and he studies material science engineering. And then that's how we really got the conversation started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's such a shame um, for there to be, like I think, um, any barrier to conversation between the schools. Like I think our experience showed that um, it's hugely beneficial to have, like, this interdisciplinary place right. where we can speak and share ideas yeah right
0: but but actually you know my my son's a junior at penn and one of the things that i really notice is that undergrads themselves don't really perceive these barriers i mean there's a little bit of cl- clannish stuff going on but mostly i mean you live in the same dorms you interact socially mm-hmm. so I, it's it's sort of ironic but often it's the undergrads who are actually doing the interdisciplinary stuff mm-hmm. at penn and that's i think an awesome thing mm-hmm. about a university um, give us just a couple minutes on the FDA challenges. So the one of the things about medical devices, uh, you know you're sticking something in somebody's eye, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a big deal. So, mm-hmm. what has to happen between now and the first human that can have this used in their eye? Yeah,
1: so th- when we think about our FDA our regulatory pathway, we, and given you know the limited amounts of capital mm-hmm. that any startup faces, mm-hmm. Um, We really think about it in steps uh, uh, through which we can de-risk this clinically, right? And over our last summer, we actually completed a biocompatibility preclinical study Mm -hmm. where we implanted the material itself into a few rabbits for three weeks. And um, we got very good data showing us, oh, hey, this will not be harmful yeah. to a living body. Yeah. So the next so step- So is it just anywhere mm, in
0: the body or you put it in their eye? In their eye. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. put in the, roughly the site in an animal yes. where it's going to go in a human. Yes. Yeah, and then you look for a reaction. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and so you pass that. Yeah.
1: Yep. our next step is a efficacy study in which we see just how well the device will work. Um, and if we get positive results, then we'll start to initiate um, our endeavors for creating a human trial and that would be a one year human trial. The thing about VisiPlate is that we're a five ten K medical device. Yeah. Which means we simply have to prove we're as safe and as effective as a predicate.
0: Yeah. So just to for our listeners who don't know what that means, what it, what you're what that basically means is there's some other device that's providing essentially the same function that mm-hmm. you're proposing to provide. You just want to do it in a better way. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to show that it that the procedure is effective you have to show that your device is equivalent to something that's already in the market
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah Yeah. and and um and and so just out of curiosity so can you find rabbits with glaucoma or are there ways in other words when you go to test the efficacy in animals do you do it in the disease state or can you show in a healthy eye that Mm -hmm. it does the right thing yeah.
1: So a lot of times for drug development, uh, you do induce the disease in the animal. However, for devices, um, we've spoken to a number of contract research partners and yeah. uh, managers, and um, we're confident that we could show efficacy through a normal uh, rabbit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. And so I'm looking, so you graduate in a couple of weeks, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank I hope you, you pass those finals and everything. But, uh, so what, what's your plan?
1: I will be working on Avizia Technologies and building VisiPlate here in Philadelphia, actually.
0: Well, four years ago when you came, three years ago when you showed up at the Wharton School, were you imagining you'd be an entrepreneur working on a glaucoma device?
1: Not glaucoma, but I did come here to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Oh, you did, all right. So So I'm very happy it happened.
0: All right. Well, Ray jane thanks so much for coming in. It's super interesting.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM, channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.
1: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.